0: My heart's been blessed already this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I wish we had so much more time to hear from Andre and his family and, and to learn more about it, but pray for them and their ministry and that hearts will continue to hear the gospel and come to Christ and, and lives will be touched and affected. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. When I decided I believe by God's leading that it was time for me to preach through 1st Peter. I forgot about 1st Peter 3:1. Had I known it, I would have gone someplace else. I wouldn't have preached this book. And so so I I uh, I had Amber print off my message yesterday and I said, "Did you see the title?" And uh, she said, "Yes, I did." And she smirked a little bit. I said, "Pray. Just pray." Let me read for you verses 1 through 7. I think you'll understand why as I uh, as I share with you what God's laid on my heart from 1st Peter now. The middle chapter, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. This morning, wives, submit. Husbands, likewise. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your word. It's all true. It's all for our benefit. Lord, the the jewels that are found in this book are just incredible. And I pray, Spirit of God, that you will settle yourself upon this place and do a work in us. And Lord, uh, this very passage has been so used by the devil to be so divisive. And so I pray now that you will meet with us and give us a peace of knowing what your will is in this matter. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, wives, submit. Let's bow our heads and pray and our message is over. <laughs> Notice it starts, the verse starts with the word likewise. Likewise, ye wives. Now, if you remember back the last couple of weeks, we've talked about serving and being in submission like the general teaching we talked about, for all to submit to every ordinance of man and for servants to be subject to their masters with all fear, now Peter turns from these categories to the next category, meaning wives. So his general understanding is, as a believer, we are to put ourselves in subjection to or to submit To others. Now our flesh does not like to submit. I did not like to submit as a toddler when my mom says, no, you cannot put your fingers in that outlet. I wanted my fingers to go in the outlet. I didn't know better. From that time until the present, I don't like being told no. But following the incredible example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who himself, as God, submitted himself, to His heavenly Father. We are to submit. So, now the category is wives. They are to subordinate themselves or be obedient to their own husbands. It says, to your own husband. In a world today in which the wife is married to an unsaved man or when working outside the home for another man, she might be tempted to place herself more under his leadership, than that of her own husband. Peter must have been dealing with that problem in his day, and he gives a very clear directive. Subjection is an effective means of winning a lost husband to Christ as as he sees the spirit of Christ in her spirit of subjection in her behavior. The little phrase, being one without the word, that he might be one without the word basically means without her saying a word, simply by her lifestyle of subjection to him. Not nagging, not getting the Bible and beating him over the head with it, not preaching at him, but living a lifestyle in subjection to him. Nagging, cajoling, and preaching, can often do more to drive away a husband in his heart. Hmm. Privilege of watching this particular thing work out. As we first came to Illinois over 40 well, some years ago now, started a ministry there. We were praying for a lady that was coming to our Sunday school class and she said, "Pray for my husband. He's unsaved." Please pray week after week after week. Pray a week. I pray for my husband. He's unsaved. Well, every so often, he would come with her to church, to Sunday class. and to. I wouldn't make it an issue publicly, but pray for him. On a couple occasions, I had a chance to witness to him and share the gospel with him. And, oh, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. I'm not, I'm not ready for that. But this lady never preached at him. She never nagged him. She decided that she was going to be simply... A good representation of Jesus and submitted herself to him. After 25 years, 20, 25 years, I remember her coming into class, and he was coming right behind her, and her face was just on fire with a smile. Come to find out, she that week, or he that week had finally trusted Christ, and his and entire life was changed from that moment on sweetest relationship you'll ever know. I asked him one day, what made the change? I tried preaching at you. I tried pre- sharing the salvation with you. What changed? She said, I never saw her break. Well, what do you mean? Not one time did she get upset at me. She simply loved me and submitted to me. She saw Christ in her subjection. Verse number two says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Notice, chaste conversation coupled with fear. The word chaste conversation, I love it. It comes from a word from where we get the word holy, 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 Lord God almighty. It's from this word. We also get the word hallowed, hallowed be thy name. The, The phrase set apart is also from this very same word. It means to be clean or innocent. It means to be modest. It means to be pure. While they behold this kind of a lifestyle. An innocence. A chaste behavior. Coupled with fear. Now this is not the kind of fear that we sometimes think about. Where the wife is always living in fear of her husband. What might he do? Oh no, he might. No, that's not the kind of fear this is talking about. This is talking about a simple reverence. Now, in today's society, quite frankly, we have a hard time understanding this concept. In Ephesians five thirty-three, it says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife, see that she reverence her husband. There's a respect there. There's a respect, an honor that the wife is to give to the husband. Oh, but you come back and say, oh, but if you knew my husband. God does. And God said for the wife to be in reverence. Oh, but but God, do you know who he is? I sure do. And I want him to come to be saved. And here's how you're going to do it. It's not by rebelling in your heart. It's not by a foul spirit. It's not by nagging. It's going to have a chaste conversation coupled with fear or respect, reverence. I read across a beautiful example of this in Esther. In the book of Esther, chapter 2, verse 15 and following. Now, when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle, uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go unto the king... She required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. So Esther was taken unto king Ahasuerus, into his house royal in the tenth month, which is the month Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now there's so much in the story not told here. Suffice it to say that Esther was one of the virgins in the land, and the king got real unhappy with his current queen. And he basically chose to fire her and find a new queen, so they sent out a decree for all the young virgins to come, and the king was going to try them out and find the one that he wanted the most. Esther's in a position here. How did she treat the situation? She treated him with respect and reverence. So much so in her chaste conversation, her manner of life, in her proper respect that it won the heart of the king. Was that important? I'd say so. Chapter 5 and verse 2, it talks about her pleasing the king, Um, when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. Verse 3, then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? What is thy request? It shall be given thee to half the kingdom. Did she please him? Well, he was willing to give her half the kingdom. I'd say he pleased her. Chapter 8, verse 5, and she said, if it pleased the king, if I have found favor in his sight, and the things seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes. Let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadetha, the Agathite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's provinces. The next few verses describe how the king had been deceived into making a, de- a decree for all the Jews to be exterminated. He didn't know that Esther was a Jew. In her behavior, she was so reverential and so chaste, he didn't even think about it. So he signed the decree, all Jews will be exterminated. But because she had won the favor of the king, I will give you anything you want, up to half my kingdom. She said, I want but one thing, I want protection from my my people. You know he gave it to her? He also gave... The man that devised it to her, what should we do with him? Hang him. He was hanged. Why? Because of her chaste conversation coupled with fear. In verse 3, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. This is the beauty of the world. This is what the world said. Wow, isn't she beautiful? Have you any idea what that cost her? Oh, the beauty products, my land, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Some ladies pay so much money just to be caught out in public. My land. Is that what he's talking about here? He says, don't let that be your adornment. Don't let that be what is real beauty. Let the true beauty that's inside, what is that true beauty? Ah, chaste conversation and fear. That reflection of the Spirit of God in your life. Who's adorning? It's interesting, but the word adorning, if you would look it up and read in the Greek, it's the word cosmos. You say, what's the big deal? Well, cosmos means orderly arrangement, or decoration the English word cosmetics comes from this word but if you're reading the Bible most times you read the word world the word world in the Bible is usually translated from the word cosmos in fact hundred and fifty one times in the Bible this word cosmos is translated world one time one time it's translated adorning Now, what do you suppose the emphasis is on this word? (laughs) There's likely a connection between adornments like cosmetics and the world. Now, don't think for a second I'm preaching against cosmetics. I'm not. I'm preaching against you putting false expectations on cosmetics. Cosmetics does not make beauty. Chaste behavior and proper reverence, there's beauty. There's three examples of cosmetic adorning, plating the hair. We don't use this word very often. In this particular era, it was folding it up in curls, tying it up in knots, and putting it into the form of horns or towers. Gratefully, we don't see that too often. Wearing of gold. This is ostentatious displays of jewelry. All the head, like, like, like tiaras. On the arm or wrist as a bracelet, and on the fingers as rings, covered with gold. And then the phrase putting on of apparel. Well, we need to put on apparel. What this means is an emphasis on beauty from the apparel or wearing very expensive and showy outfits designed to draw attention. Verse 4 But let it be the hidden man of the heart. Don't let it be that which is on the outside, let it be what's inside that creates your true. Beauty, he says in that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a beak and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price you think God in heaven is standing back and saying, whoa whoa look at her she's got Maybelline Wow oh I'm so look at that gold jewelry she's wearing Woo! isn't she a beauty no God is saying look at her look at her look at her got a meek and quiet spirit she got chaste behavior she's got a proper reverence and fear look at her look at the beauty there the real you the hidden man of the heart meek the word meek here means even natured or one with emotions under control quiet spirit simply means peaceable and she's highly valued great price in the sight of God this, this phrase here means extremely valuable to God. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. Why? For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God's looking at our hearts. Psalm 147, 11, The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, and those that hope in His mercy. Now, this is not like Michael. Remember David and his wife Michael? In 2 Samuel six twenty, Then David returned to bless his household, and oh, he was so excited. He came, he came bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. and Oh, he was singing and dancing and jumping in the streets. He was so happy. His wife, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaidens of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. I will be yet more vile than this, and we be base in mine own sight. And of that maiden servants, which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child under the day of her death. Uh, M- Michael chose on that day, anyway, not to have a meek and quiet spirit. What did it cost her? No children. Verse 5, For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Notice, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye dwell, and are not afraid with any amazement. This story has always amazed me. Sarah called her husband Abraham, Lord. Or master showing reverence to him Sarah do you know what that character did Sarah do you know remember what he did to you Sarah do you remember the horrible position he put you in and you're calling him Lord (laughs) interesting because it says in this passage who trusted in God they adorned themselves Holy women of old adorned themselves. I looked it up. It's not cosmos. It's a slightly different word. It means to put in proper order, decorate, garnish, or trim. In other words, it's not the word tied to the world. It's to have a true garnishment, if you will. Characteristics of women in old time, they trusted in God, they adorned themselves with a meek and quiet spirit, and they were in subjection to their own husbands. That was their adorning. But the example he used was Sarah. Genesis 18, 12, therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I am wax old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also. Here's where she called him Lord. She's very old now, and God comes back and and confirms the fact that they are going to have a child. And she laughs. Well, she's an old lady. Sarah, you're going to have a child. I told you many years ago you're gonna have a child and you didn't believe me. And so now I'm telling you again and now you're laughing. She turns around and calls her husband Lord. We would say master, we would say, we would say loved one, this is a, a designation of reverence. But before calling him Lord, Sarah endured some grave mistreatment by him. Very quickly, in Genesis twelve twelve, Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, he said to her, as they were going into Egypt, they shall, they shall say, this is his wife, and they'll kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake. <laughs> it may be well for me, catch it, well, for me, for thy sake. Uh, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her, commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had she- sheep and oxen and asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh. Did you catch it? The couple, husband and wife, go into Egypt, and they see her. She's a beauty, and they take her. Are you with this man? Are you married to this man? And she said, I'm his sister. I'm his sister. They take her. And Pharaoh is so pleased. He gives Abraham a fortune for her. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she's my sister, so I might have taken her to my wife? Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go that way. We come to find out she was his half-sister. He married her. So he wasn't really lying, but he was deceiving. Here. But what he did was, he says, Now you tell them, tell them you're my sister All right, so if they take us, I won't die. Not you'll be protected. I won't die. They took her. Understand what that means. Into the king's harem, they took her. What did Abraham say? Nothing. Same thing happened in Genesis 20, verses 1 through 3 a little bit later with the king of Philistia, Abimelech. <laughs> Same thing! Tell him, you're my sister. Thinking that, oh well, what's the worst that could happen? It did! Sarah continued. After all that, many years later, she continued to be adorned in a meek and quiet spirit. And she reverenced her husband and called him Lord, in spite of his incredible insensitivity toward her. Verse 7. Let's level the field now of the husbands. Verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now I know what you're saying. God gave all these verses to women and just one for men. That's because men can't handle that much information. They just overload. They can't get it. It's also because at the time of the writing, the uh, the uh, the the people to whom it was being written were it were uh, that the culture was so secular, so worldly, that this kind of a lifestyle of women submitting to men was just foreign. And so we had to really spend a lot of time explaining this to them. I see an exaggerated view of the husband or father's role. The author is imagining a conversation here, an article I found, between Julius Caesar's father and his younger daughter. So this would have been written and occurred about 100 years earlier than the book of 1 Peter was written. So Let me describe this culture. It seems I must refresh your memory daughter do you know who I am I am the pater familias or the father the absolute head of this household my word is law my actions are not actionable whatever I choose to do and stay within the bounds of this household I can do and say no law of the Senate and people of Rome stands between me and my absolute authority over my household my family for Rome has structured her laws to ensure the Roman family is above the law of all save the pater or the husband. If my wife commits adultery, Julia, I can kill her or have her killed. If my son is guilty of moral turpitude or cowardice or any other kind of social imbecility, I can kill him or have him killed. If my daughter is unchaste, Julia, I can kill her or have her killed. If any member of my household, from my wife through my sons and my daughters to my mother to my servants, transgresses the bounds of what I regard as decent conduct, I can kill him or her or have him or her killed. Now, I've got to confess, there may have been a time or two where I thought about it, but I would never say it. But here, here in this time frame, under Roman law, the father was everything. And if he wanted to, his wife looked at him wrong, he could have her killed. Husbands in this society described, are included in Peter's list of likewises. The word likewise, meaning similarly, like the teaching to submit to every ordinance of man, for husbands to be subject to their masters with all fear, and wives to submit to their husbands. Now Peter puts his finger at the husband. I found this, and this was very interesting. I'll kind of wrap our message up here, but Warren Wearsby in a book listed the four responsibilities of the husband laid out here. First of all, a physical responsibility. Dwell with them. This implies much more than sharing the same address. Marriage is fundamentally a physical relationship. They too shall be one flesh, Ephesians 5.31. Of course, Christian mates enjoy a deeper spiritual relationship, but the two go together a truly spiritual husband will fulfill his marital duties and love his wife. Number two is intellectual, according to knowledge. A Christian husband needs to know his wife's moods, feelings, needs, fears, and hopes. He needs to listen with his heart and share meaningful communication with her. There must be in the home such a protective atmosphere of love and submission that the husband and wife can disagree and still be happy together. Speaking the truth in love is the solution to the communication problem. When either mate is afraid to be open and honest about a matter, then he or she is building up a wall and not a bridge. Thirdly is emotional, giving honor unto the wife. Peter did not suggest here that the wife is a weaker vessel mentally or morally or spiritually but simply how God made them physically. There are exceptions, of course, but generally speaking, the man is stronger of the two when it comes to physical accomplishments. The husband should treat his wife like an expensive, beautiful, fragile vase, in which is a precious treasure. Let me just stop right now and say, remember what we're talking about, the era in which this was written. The era in which this was written, men were strong. Let me go on. Giving honor means that the husband respects his wife's feelings, thinking, and desires. He may not agree with her ideas, but he respects them. Often God balances a marriage so that the husband needs what the wife has in her personality, and she likewise needs his good qualities. An impulsive husband often has a patient wife, and this helps to keep him out of trouble. And fourthly, spiritual that your prayers be not hindered. Peter assumed that husbands and wives would pray together. Often they do not, and this is the reason for much failure and unhappiness. If something is wrong, their prayers will be hindered. A husband and wife need to have their own private, individual prayer time each day. They also need to pray together and have a time of family devotion. How this is organized will change from home to home and even from time to time as the children grow up and schedules change. The word of God and prayer are basic to a happy, holy home. And then he asks seven brief questions. Number one, are we partners or competitors? Number two, are we helping each other become more spiritual? Number three, Are we depending on the externals or the eternals, the artificial or the real? Number four, do we understand each other better? Number five, are we sensitive to each other's feelings and ideas or taking each other for granted? Number six, are we seeing God answer our prayers? And seven, are we enriched because of our marriage or robbing each other of God's blessing? Isn't that good? So, so ladies, when, when Peter opens up and it feels like he's taking a shotgun and aiming it right at you and says, Submit, understand the full context. The full context is as he's acting, asking you to reflect the nature of Christ. And when he's finished with the ladies, he turns to the men. He says, "Men, husbands, reflect the nature of Christ." Can you imagine? Here's a wife, and she's reflecting the nature of Christ to her husband, and here's a, a husband reflecting the nature of Christ to her. What a Beautiful, beautiful relationship. But if, God forbid, the husband, instead of reflecting God, no longer reflects God, just becomes himself. He wonders why the marriage is not working. Wives, submit, but husbands, likewise. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for your love and thank you for your perfect, beautiful example of submission. Lord, in all areas of life we struggle with this because our flesh, our old man, does not want to submit. We don't like being told no. We don't like submitting ourselves to authorities. So Spirit of God, would you do the work in our hearts this morning that needs to be done. And I pray our wives will understand the importance, our husbands will understand the importance, and each of them will choose to reflect your divine nature to the other. And Lord, whatever position we find ourselves, whether we're children, whether we're employers, employees, whatever it is, I pray that you might help us to submit ourselves to you. Whatever the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart this morning, I would trust that He would speak to you right now. I want us to quietly stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And for just a few moments, we're gonna have an invitation. Everyone standing, heads are, clo- our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And how is God speaking to your heart this morning? Is there some work that the Spirit of God wants to do in your soul, shaking you from your lethargy spiritually? Would you respond to Him? Would you submit to Him as you submit to your spouse? Perhaps you came in this morning, and you, you do not know for sure that heaven is your home. but Oh, you want to know. Do you know 100% for sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Do you know that? I wonder, with nobody looking around, is there anybody in this audience that would say, Pastor, I do not know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die, but I want to know, would you pray for me? Anyone like that that could lift the hand that I could see it? Anyone? Pastor, pray for me. I don't know for sure that heaven is my home, but I want to know. Please pray for me. Dear Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. And I pray that you will continue to be glorified. I pray for the last bell ministry. Lord, continue to bless Andre, his dear wife and family. I pray that their ministry might expand. I pray, Lord, that you might bless every aspect of the needs of our people. And Lord, I thank you once again for Pat being here. I pray for your divine comforting for her and your will to be accomplished. And we'll thank you for all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.